0: <laughs> let's open our bibles to uh, Luke chapter 13 and we are we are going to primarily begin our study around verse uh, verse eight, eight, 18 but uh, I noticed on the website you guys ended up about verse 16. So let's let's make sure we have what's going on here back in chapter 12 and beginning at verse 34 uh you will see uh Luke beginning to talk about judgment, the judgment to come, uh, and, and he's going to start emphasizing the kingdom. So uh, you notice 1234, he begins to talk about being prepared for the judgment. Uh, verse 57, beginning that paragraph, uh, again, the idea of preparing for judgment. 13 he begins by talking about those who died in some kind of uh, tragedy or or something done to them and he said are you amazed at that or think they're any worse sinner you will likewise die if you don't repent and and then uh, in verse 6 of chapter 13 talking about the parable of the barren fig tree, judgment again, if you do not uh, prepare and bear fruit. And and then he gives this uh, example of uh, Jesus delivering from judgment. So the woman with the, uh, with the well, the title says disabling spirit, uh, which is exactly the phrase that's used there in verse 10. Uh, but she has been bent over for 18 years and cannot fully straighten herself. And then Jesus delivers her. And you notice the words that are given concerning uh, her deliverance when he, when he says in, uh, in verse, uh, let's see, we're down in verse 15, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from the, this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, his adversaries are put to shame. So you see the deliverance from bondage. You see how that that has now taken place. So judgment is is assured. Jesus has come as deliverer from judgment. Uh, we've talked about this before, but it, it's a problem in our world of thinking that Jesus came to judge people. Jesus came to deliver people. You're already judged. <laughs> You're already under condemnation. Everybody has sinned. So everybody is in that condition. And Jesus came to deliver. And the deliverance of this woman who is, as he says, bound by Satan for these 18 years, uh, is, is illustrated then in her healing. Uh, So so that that would indicate the same things that uh, we've been talking about throughout this. Uh, Questions or comments on this woman's healing? I don't know how much you talked about there because it indicated you ended a little early. Do you see a connection between Sabbath and what happened to her? No? It could be
1: the common traditions of the Sabbath that the Pharisees put upon everyone that they
0: were bound by... Well, there's there's certainly truth to that, that the Pharisees had taken the Sabbath command far beyond what God had intended and made it something that was not a uh, deliverance or a rest for humans, but instead something that was oppressive. Uh, They certainly did that. But there's a connection here with the meaning of Sabbath. Adam.
1: Sabbath she is free from that and um, in Numbers when the command for the Sabbath is reiterated it's Numbers uh, the, the very clear reason that they're told that they're to observe the Sabbath every week is to remember the power that the Lord used to bring them out of Egypt and make them his people so she's free from her essential adulthood or lifelong um uh, Slavery uh, to this disabling spirit on the same day or in the same way that they were free
0: from God. Exactly. Anytime you think of Sabbath, you need to think of Deuteronomy 5.15. So uh, let's, let's please notice that. Whatever. <laughs> uh, Deuteronomy 5.15. Jesus, or the Lord, gives here the reason for the commanding of the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. <clears throat> he says there in that text, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Sabbath day is, an, is the idea of Rest of deliverance from bondage, of deliverance from slavery. Uh, Therefore, when uh, Jesus does a lot of the healing that he does on the Sabbath, he's continuing to send the message, I've come to deliver you from bondage. Notice another text, Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49. picture here, the whole chapter. It's a picture of God's deliverance. Isaiah 49, and you'll notice He talks about in verse 6 and 7 how talking about the Messiah being coming, the Redeemer of Israel. And then uh, in verse 8, he says, Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I've answered you, in a day of salvation I've helped you. This is God speaking to the Messiah. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people and to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, Come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. so feed along all the, uh, the ways on all bare heights shall be their pasture, etc. So notice what he does. He makes this covenant and then he brings them out of darkness and he says to the prisoners, come out. So this is again a release from bondage. Uh, When you think of Sabbath, think of bondage, and God is giving a picture in the Sabbath day once a week that the day will come when God gives permanent satisfaction rest from our slavery and bondage. That was the purpose of them remembering it. And thus, when you get to the New Testament, it is no wonder that Jesus constantly heals on the Sabbath and is amazed and and watches them melt down, by the way, (laughs) every time he does it. And they can't get it. They can't make the connection, which again is a tremendous warning to us on how we study if you study to find rules and commandments outside of the context of who God is, you will make a huge error. And you will end up worshiping the commandment instead of the God behind the commandment. Makes sense? You worship the Sabbath. Wow, Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. Clean, clean, clean. <laughs> yeah, those are important but in context of what God is trying to show us and the messages he's trying to send us. It's like we don't assemble and come to church because you're supposed to come to church. That's not why we do it. We come because we need to stir one another up to love and good works. We need to glorify and honor Him. It's important to our souls that we do that and that we do it together for the proper encouragement and get us closer to God. There's reasons behind it. If we come, sit in a pew, and never fulfill those reasons, then why did we come? It isn't what he commanded. And that emphasis is, you you could talk about that with every commandment God gives. If you don't see what Hosea 6 6 says (laughs) that Jesus quotes twice, I desire, and as it's translated in the New Testament, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Or I desire, Hosea's account, steadfast love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burn offerings. Don't just do burnt offerings. Don't just do sacrifice. I desire that you know me so that those sacrifices come out of your love and honor of me. All commandments come out of loving God. Commandment isn't first, then, then I'm done. Doesn't do any good. Make sense?
1: You, if you were to say to someone, you're no better than the Pharisees just coming to church...
0: filling a pew, they would be offended. They would be
1: offended, yes. But that's exactly what they're doing.
0: They're being the Yeah, you have to have the meaning behind what you're doing. And otherwise, it's just, uh, what we do when we do that is we treat God like an idol. Seemingly, well, if I do this, this, and this, and I I will be appeasing him. And then we ask questions like, well, do you really think I'd go to hell if I didn't (laughs) <laughs> do this, or do you really think I'd go to hell if I did this? And we're, we're we're doing it. You've heard me say this, but we're doing that like we fill out a tax return. Well, let's see. Yeah, I think I think that's barely within the law, and I can get an extra ten bucks. <laughs> I if I do. Yeah, would I get in trouble? Yeah, probably not. You know, there's a lot of interpretations of that. It's whatever. You know, it's Just like.
1: Says if you turn your your back, uh, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, if you don't take your own ways and go away from the Sabbath, if you keep the Sabbath, you honor it, and you find a delight, and you keep it holy, and you keep it honorable, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you right on the heights of the earth, I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. From the the
0: Lord, yeah. And what he's talking about there is, you're going be a, you, you yeah, you delight in the day, but you don't, you don't live as if you, you, as the God that I am, and, and you're not drawing near to me. Uh, that, that's exactly right, and, and so it, it it ends up just to be, as, he, as Jesus called them, hypocrites, uh, to sit there and, uh, and basically honor a command, but you have no idea uh, about drawing near to God and, and what's being said there. So, anyway, critical thing. When you, when you see these incidents here, anytime, especially when Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, you want to go click. <laughs> this is a scene of deliverance from bondage every one of us have been sick some over long periods of time does it feel like bondage after a while yes it does and it is a signification of the bondage of sin that we have all been trapped in the healing is a picture reason Jesus didn't step on the earth and just heal everybody he's giving he does it you know, relatively few times compared to the population of the world, but he's doing it in order to signal, I'm here to give you greater deliverance. The physical healing is only a uh, a, a brief illustration of what I'm about to do for the whole world, not only delivering you from the physical bounds and things like that, but delivering you spiritually from Satan. That's such an interesting uh, statement there when he says that in verse 16, whom Satan has bound for 18 years. Boy, did that uh, uh, ruler of the synagogue there uh, (laughs) have mud on his face. Uh, Just standing up, everybody ought to. You you know, this is kind of funny. Did you notice this? It's just kind of funny how he says this. This guy stands up, and when you want to be healed, Come on, some other day, but the Sabbath. You just made a statement that God was healing, and then you accuse God of healing on His own, on the wrong day. <laughs> Man, you can't even see the only contradiction in your in your in your little speech that you gave there. Uh, what else would? <laughs> who else would be healing on the Sabbath? These kinds of healing. He would say. Yeah, I don't know. You know, Jesus is some kind of what? The lady's bent over, and he walks over and touches her, and she straightens up and begins to glorify God. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. All right. Yeah, go ahead. It's so, but I so like this little illustration brings water into the
1: picture.
0: Before
1: in this book, he's always used water to, to signify life. So he uses this little illustration, it's very subtle, that says, would you, which of you, does not untie an ox on Saturday and take him to the water? Yeah. And then he says, Shouldn't this woman have, basically
0: have the same opportunity? Yeah. You know, Chip, that is so, that is so cool because it also r- reminds us of another interesting principle in Bible study. Where in the Old Testament did God say, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy? Okay, don't carry a burden on the Sabbath. Don't, don't, don't kindle a fire on the Sabbath. Don't do any of your normal work on the Sabbath. Those are the three basic things he says. Where in all of the law does he say, now Except obviously, you would you got all these animals, and obviously you can't give them a day off from eating and drinking. <laughs> they are going to need to have some water they're going to need to have some food, so obviously you where was where's the exception in the law? never says it, does he yet the Jews were brilliant enough to figure out well obviously. The Sabbath is not intended to harm and to hurt, but to give life. They could figure that much out with an animal, as Chip said, but couldn't figure it out with a human. It is an interesting parallel again. Uh, yeah, I, I, well, I could go into a lot of things on that, but there's the principle. Be aware. Uh, that everything isn't detailed out. What is shown us is the character of God and you understand the character of God, then you understand a commandment, for example, to assemble together would have the exception if I see a guy have a motorcycle accident on the way here, and I need to stop and take care of him even if I missed preaching. (laughs) That would be a requirement of God's character. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Important principles there. Spent way too long talking about it, but maybe we need to get that in our heads. Okay, so chapter 13 through 18 here, kingdom pictures. Chapter 13 through 18, it's going to constantly talk about what God desires in his kingdom and what the kingdom's about. Therefore, following up with this idea of loosing her bond on the Sabbath. Verse 18, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nest in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, until it was all leavened. Okay, can you maybe connect those two parables? Obviously, Luke uses these differently, a little bit differently than what you might see in Matthew's account in chapter 13 of Matthew, where he just gives all these parables concerning the kingdom. But connect this to the woman that is bound, and Satan... Satan, therefore, uh, being the one who has bound her. And then he turns and talks about the kingdom with a mustard seed and leaven. Uh, Can you see a message there that he's trying to get about the kingdom? What would be the message that he is showing? Um, well, if you put it in the way that the, the kingdom is going to start small and it is going to have a great impact, then that would be the idea. Right. So it's going to start small. It's going to have an impact on the whole world. It's going to uh, leaven the world. It's going to grow into a tree where birds are nesting and resting in the branches of the tree. What is the purpose of Christ's kingdom? That would be maybe a help to you to understand what, he, why, how he's connecting this. What's the purpose of the coming of Christ's kingdom? Uh, seek and save the lost. Seek and is save the lost. There, yes, there is. That is the that is the method, okay, by which he uh, does a greater thing what would be the greater thing that he is doing if you especially connected this to Genesis 3.15 (laughs) all the way back.
1: Restore restore
0: our relationship with him. Yeah, and restore our relationship with him, and in doing so, who's he conquering? He's conquering Satan. And, And what we have to understand that people in that day, and especially the Jews, would probably mostly think of the coming kingdom as a boom, you know, like any kingdom. It's the overthrow of a nation or the overthrow of nations and boom, the establishment of the kingdom. And Jesus is constantly giving pictures that show that it's not the same way that you may be thinking. Uh, so this, is a, this kingdom then is going to conquer the world, it's going to conquer Satan, but it's going to start very, very small, like, a, like the smallest of seed, a grain of mustard seed that grows into a tree, or le- leaven that's placed in, uh, in the dough and then fills the whole lump. So it is overcoming and conquering, but it's going to be a slower process than you might think. And we, of course, are a part of that, uh, and as was b- both mentioned here, that plays out in the salvation of the world, and the conquering of the world is by by that uh, in the parable of the Sower, the conquering of the world is through the um, conquering of hearts, because he talks about different hearts and how those hearts are going to respond. Questions? comments on that? Are you following that okay okay. Why
1: would you say that- right on the back of that, display.
0: Well, that here is Well, here is Jesus, boom, doing a miracle and immediately healing this woman and delivering her from the bond to Satan and then transferring that to a spiritual uh, uh, deliverance, but reminding them that this is going to be different than what their kingdom, what their idea of kingdom conquering would be. You know, you're reading the prophets and it just sounds like The arm of the Lord comes and whack, you know, then he just moves right into the blessings. Uh, And uh, you don't get the feel of a a gradual uh, conquering. Uh, And and the Jews would have thought the other way. So that maybe helps them. And Gentiles too. That's the best I would know how to answer that. You got another idea?
1: Well, no, I mean, as you were talking, just it's almost as if, He's letting them know I just planted a mustard seed
0: for you. Okay, good.
1: I just left the little leaven in your sight. Yeah. What are you gonna do with it? Yeah. Are you gonna let it grow you? Or are you gonna let okay. it transform you? Uh, that's how the kingdom acts. It's leaving those little good. nuggets of action that, that display what that kingdom yeah. is yeah. and letting each of them. Good. Grow. I
0: mean you're you're planting the word in a heart in a heart and, and it doesn't uh, just snap <laughs> it 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 grows and leavens even the heart. That's true, Danny.
1: They were all real dramatic uh, acts. Yeah. I mean, uh, he destroyed Egypt in a day, and, uh, and then they had the, uh, the episodes after that where he overcame. Yeah, it's not going to be that at all.
0: Yeah, and wa- walking in and wiping Canaan out in six years. Yeah. And, you know, things so like that.
1: Yeah. He's got to lay the groundwork here that says this is going to be a process like you've never seen before. It's going to be more like
0: this. Yeah, good, 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 good observation. Okay, so then verse 30, uh, I mean, yeah, verse 22. Uh, now we're going to see him talking about the entrance into the kingdom. This is one of the uh, one of my favorite texts in the book of Luke, because there's so many uh, positives that are good to look at, but there's also other things that make us more aware of the challenge of being a disciple. Uh, verse 22, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Uh, by the way, side note, look at that little statement, journeying toward Jerusalem. That reminds us that Luke is in Un, uh, unreported territory up to this point, because Matthew, Mark, John do not talk about this Perean ministry or this period of time, which is about six months, in which he journeys toward Jerusalem. So chapter 9, uh, was it 52 or so? That's when that transitions and goes to chapter 19, uh, and and that is important. All right, so he's journeying toward Jerusalem, verse 23, and someone said to him, Lord, will will those who are saved be few. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. All right, we got to start with this. Why did the man ask the question? Why, what triggered him, what would you think would trigger him to ask the question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? You're going, You're going to ask that question. Beat you to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you think would trigger somebody to ask that Yeah. Okay, so so there's one side of this, uh, true, where you have the Pharisees making everything so difficult. Uh, Jesus even talks in Matthew's account how they would travel land and sea to make one convert, you know, find somebody just perfect that would fit into their pattern, and you make them twofold more the child of hell than you. (laughs) So indeed, there would be that part of it that would be quite interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that end of it. That's good. Yeah. Well, that's true as well, okay? That there, there would be, a, in their minds too, a minority, all right? Anybody else?
1: I was thinking along similar lines, but the Jew-Gentile.
0: Okay, Jew-Gentile Gentile thing. thing.
1: Where, where the Jewish nation took great pride in who they were and what they were uh-huh. and would limit access. And so he potentially is asking, <laughs> uh, is it going to be the same? Yeah.
0: Okay. Anything else? You know, somebody think of, a, of, of just, remember, he's talking kingdom stuff. He's talking what the kingdom's like. He's talking about his kingdom, all of these. What would cause somebody who is looking for the kingdom, not necessarily looking back and the circumstances of the time, but looking for the kingdom and saying, Lord, is there, are there a few going to be saved?
1: <clears throat> the more people
0: they have the better they do okay all right uh, so the, yeah you you would think of a kingdom that's that's uh, going to conquer the whole world uh, you would think in terms of numbers and how many there would be and this guy just focuses on on are there are there really few w- would you think that maybe the teachings that Jesus has been doing these teachings are quite restrictive in the way they lay out. You know, he started in chapter, he's been doing a whole bunch of judgment scenes, as we've talked about. And uh, in chapter 13, the the beginning of that, they're like, man, you know, thinking about what Herod did to these and mingled their blood and and the tower that fell on these people. Do you think there were sinners? Look, everybody's going to perish who doesn't repent. Uh, and and then the rebuke of all of those in the tabernacle, I mean, in the synagogue, who uh, are amazed that he would heal on that day, and uh, and maybe it's a result of Jesus teaching that would cause them to ask the question: Are there few that are going to be saved, Karen?
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. He walks in and saves somebody they would have considered a nobody. <laughs> That's exactly right. Say good. Uh, now, what is Jesus' answer? So you you have a a man saying, are there few going to be saved? And Jesus doesn't say yes or no, but you can read what he said and then tell me, uh, which did he answer? Many or few? There's going to be few. I mean, it's very clear in his answer that there is going to be few. Because he, you, what words would? I mean, I don't want to give you the end. What words do you see him using that would indicate there are few who are going to be saved? Many will seek and they will not be able. Okay, so the many will seek and not be able. Exactly. So there's one phrase that would indicate that it's not going to be a majority. Certainly. Strive, strive as opposed to what? In the text, for many will seek. So notice he, he has a contrast here between striving and seeking. Now that wouldn't be always to be the case in all context, but in this context, he seems to indicate strive. The word strive uh, comes from an interesting Greek word, where we get our one of our words, uh, agonize. And in, the, and in the definition, it's agonize, strain every nerve, is the literal definition of, of that word. Strain every nerve, as opposed to just casually seeking. So he seems to have a contrast between a casual seeker, who wants to enter, who wants to be there. That's interesting. They want to be there, but they're a casual seeker. Strive to enter in. What a of the Yeah. Say.
1: There's only one going in at a time. This is, you
0: can't say, oh,
1: I'm in this family, and we're all in
0: it. It's one guy in the door. Yeah. yeah, narrow indicates a more difficult way in the sense of they're, they're, When when you see, we all do this, you see a narrow door... <laughs> Uh, And then over here, you see this great big wide entrance that everybody's flooding through. Why would I go through that? (laughs) Why would I pass through the narrow door? I always think of, uh, would you like to drive to Atlanta on back roads uh, if you want to get there in a reasonable amount of time, or are you just going to take I-65? Well, if I want to get there in a reasonable amount of time. Now, if I don't care when I get there, I might take those back roads. But bottom line is the back roads uh, are a whole lot more difficult to (laughs) traverse uh, than just jumping on a freeway where you don't have stop signs and curves and all those things. Uh, at any rate he even the narrow door is indicating the uh the fact that few are going to uh uh want to go there and i would say i would suggest to you the narrow, narrow door actually gives A the terms of entrance are narrow, is the idea. The terms of entrance are limited, and that's basically what you're saying, Wayne. Uh, we must and we must battle against the inclinations of the world to just broaden everything out and accept the world's standards. And that's we see that today, you see it in every generation where. Uh, religious people make the path as broad as possible we, to, to each his own, uh, as Oprah Winthy always said there 's just a ton of different ways to get to God. Jesus is only one way there's many other ways you could get to the, you can go to heaven. Uh, things like that are not a narrow door, and uh, would not be what Jesus is talking about. So there's a lot of, lot of things that are like that. Uh, then he gives this illustration of the master of the house uh, shutting the door. What's some of the uh, concepts that you would get from that in verse 25 uh, uh, down, uh, down there to, through verse 27? Yeah, exactly. That seems to be just the point, doesn't it? At some point, he's going to shut the door. Right now, the door is open; you can walk through. But someplace, he's going to shut the door, and it's going to be too late. Yeah, joking. Yeah, opportunity doesn't last forever. And it is uh, an extremely important part of uh, what, how we need to live. It, it is very, very easy just to relax and say, well, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. And that, that's like the parable of the ten virgins where five of them are just not prepared for the hour. And at some point, he's going to shut the door. Too late, Evan. Yeah, in, in verse
1: 26, it's
0: really interesting to think about their response to the Master. Isn't it? Yeah. heard the words you said heard Exactly. And the shocking part of this whole thing, as you read that, you begin to realize, the shocking part of the whole thing is that these people are, who are knocking and wanting to enter are religious people. These, these, well, we ate and drank in your presence. We, we always went to church, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but they're workers of evil. No, you, you didn't live a life prepared for the kingdom, loving the kingdom, loving the king, and preparing you for that time. You didn't live that kind of life. Uh, instead, you were religious without any substance uh, along with it. And, uh, and, and that, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty, pretty significant uh, that they are complaining about that and how that they will make these excuses of how religious they were. And they hung out with Jesus and they said, praise the Lord a few times. And, <laughs> you know, what, whatever it, action is necessary. All right. Looking at the whole text, what else do you see that uh, uh, really stands out here? Both, not just negative, there's some positives in this.
1: Well, he says, I don't know where you come from, but then it says people will come from east,
0: west, north, south. You know, the gospel is for all. Yeah. And those who are from east, west, north, south, who would they be in this parable? These are Gentiles, aren't they? So he has just—you uh, know—Theophilus is reading this, going, "Oh, that's me." <laughs> they are going to be coming. So, who has he been? Who has he been talking to then? Jews. These are. These are. This is a Jewish audience, and he's giving them a strong warning. Are there few going to be saved? Yes, especially among the Jewish people. There's going to be few who will be saved. And Paul, of course, reiterates that in Romans chapter 11. Uh, Without doubt, there's going to be few. And therefore, the warning here is, you Jews are going to see Gentiles, those you've hated terribly, come from all over the world to come into the kingdom, and you are going to see them sitting at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets, and you yourselves cut, out, uh, cast out. Uh, what a shocking <laughs> uh, situation that uh, would certainly be, right? What other, what other thoughts you have there about just that in time scene. Apparently.
1: Hmm? Pardon? Apparently, even if you're not part of the kingdom, you
0: can know what's going on somehow and see. Yeah, wh why why is there weeping and gnashing of teeth in this text? Because they're not they know what they're missing. Because they missed it. Yeah, exactly. You know, we often talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, it's because it's so painful and there's fire or there's this or that and etc., etc. In this case, he actually describes the reason there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth is because you're going to realize all the glory you could have had and you were lazy and you didn't prepare and you allowed yourself to get involved in the evil of this life and did not serve the Lord as you should. And prepare yourself, and therefore you're going to see this. Of course, a little later in chapter 15, we're going to see. I mean, six, uh, 16, we're going to see this, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Now, the rich man's going. Wait a minute, Father Abraham, remember me? I'm your son. Why am I not with you? <laughs> There's going to be that uh, that same picture. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It does. Absolutely shocking to the Jews, wouldn't it? That's exactly right. Here's everyone that you thought was unworthy of the kingdom, and you're going to find yourself unworthy, because they're going to come from long distances. They're going to come from a place that is, that is way separated from what you guys think uh, of, of the kingdom, and they're going to be allowed to enter. Uh, the positive side of this is what? That's right. He knows who are his, and he's going to accept even the Gentiles be considered the most sinful people of the world, basically, and he, they are going to repent. They're the ones who are going to come in uh, to the kingdom. Uh, go ahead.
1: It's almost as if he's answering the question, yes and no. The guy asks, is it going to be few? And he says,
0: yes, the way is narrow.
1: But no, because everyone has access yeah, good. to the web, good. right? And good. so it's, it, in both, he's kind of answering both sides of that yeah. question.
0: It's not going to be a few in a little area. It's going to be people coming from all over yeah, the I'm world. I'm going to select has right.
1: a chance. I'm going to make it available to all east, west, north, south. Good. But the few will be those who actually strive, who daily commit themselves there they are. to the needs that are there. And, way to get in that and
0: therefore, when you read verse 30, some who are last will be first, yep. some are first who will be last. Well, who would be first? Generally thought of... Go ahead. Yeah. Jews. This also makes me think about the Gentiles coming from so far away. There are those who
1: are seeking and trying, and then there are those who are... Seeking.
0: Yes. And false. Yeah, false expectations, but not <coughs> not really seeking. You need to think too about the picture he just gave of our eternal uh, existence. Uh, sitting down at table, Isaiah 25 gives beautiful pictures of the feast of God in his, uh, in his glorified kingdom. Sitting down at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets. What an honor and that, I think, just ought to stand stand out with us. All right? Very, very good. And by the way, again, connect this with these next uh, chapters. This keeps connecting about the kingdom. So get on and get into chapter 14, and uh, as much as 14 as you can get, uh, we will definitely get uh, quite a ways into that. All right. Thank you. Very good.